Welcome to Rock and Roll Nuggets, tales from the gold mine, the gold mine of rock and roll, that is, where we dig deep to explore the myths, the legends, the lore, and today, part two, the finale, the devil in rock and roll, the Satan connection, and not only with rock and roll, but today we connected with all those rock stars, all those ones who sadly died at the end of the 60s and early 70s, in that very short time span of two years, and who sadly would all die at the tender age of 27. Yes, we connected with Satan, and then we connected with the greatest, and certainly the most bizarre and the strangest of all rock and roll rumors, and maybe once and for all, proving that there is a little more fact than fiction to this rumor. And I will continue to be your host, as it was in part one. My name is Heggs, Luther Heggs. And if you did not listen to part one, in a nutshell, how does the devil make his connection to rock and roll? Now, it's not the way most people think. It terrified a nation. It terrified a world in the 1950s when this music first hit the scene. And they started calling it the devil's music. But that is not when. That is not when the devil makes his connection to rock and roll, because he's an insidious little character. He knows how big rock and roll is going to be, so the devil, he will go down to Clarksdale, Mississippi. Now, I know most of you thought he went out to Georgia first, but he went down to Clarksdale because there was a man in the 1930s, one of these great blues players who wanted to be the greatest, and he will become the greatest blues player in the world. His name is Robert Johnson, and how does this happen? Because he is willing to relinquish his soul to Satan, sell his soul to the devil, and that's why the devil will go down to Clarksdale, Mississippi, and he seals a deal with the devil. And if you don't believe me, go down to Clarksdale yourself, because to this very day, at the intersection of Old Highway 49 and Bob's favorite highway, you know, 61, there is a monument on the spot where Robert Johnson in the 1930s sold his soul to the devil, and he did become this great legend of the blues and rock and roll, like I said, 80 years later. We are still talking about Robert Johnson. Musicians are still trying to emulate and duplicate his sound. But how long did it last for Robert Johnson? Not very long, for within a few years, the devil will collect. He's an impatient one. In 1938, Robert Johnson is poisoned, and he will die a slow and agonizingly painful death. Takes three days to kill Robert Johnson, and he will die at the age of 27. Yes, the same age as all those rock stars at the end of the 60s and beyond, and everybody never makes this connection. They always think that all those rock stars who died at the tender age of 27 started at the end of the 60s, but it did not. It started with the blues player who would influence more blues players and more rock and rollers than any other man in the blues, and that is Robert Johnson, who was poisoned and died at the age of 27 back there in Clarksdale, Mississippi. So today we're going to tell you the tales of all those rock stars who died in a very short time span. And then we're going to connect it all together with that great rock and roll rumor. But in order to do this, you know what we got to do? We got to jump on that rock and roll time machine and go three decades into the future past the death of Robert Johnson to the summer of 1969. Oh, that beautiful summer of Woodstock, the summer that we landed on the moon and the summer that one of rock's greatest tragedies, the first of many, would start July 3rd, 1969 at an estate an estate in England of a very rich young rock star. And of course, there's a swimming pool on his estate, but sadly, in this swimming pool floats the body of this young man, this superstar of rock. Floating at the bottom is dead, lifeless body, a man who had so many dreams. He wanted to form a band that would do some blues, some R&B, and do some rock and roll. He wanted this band to become as big as his buddies, the Beatles, one day, and they would. He would achieve all his dreams, but they would all end for this man on July 3rd, 1969, when they find the dead body of Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones in his swimming pool floating at the bottom. Official cause of his death is misadventure. Now, what exactly does misadventure mean? It is an unlucky accidental death. I would think that any accidental death is unlucky, but that's the official definition of misadventure. And his buddy in the band at the time, Keith Richards said, wait a minute, accidental death. He goes, I wasn't there the night that Brian died. He goes, but I know the people that were and they hated him. They hated his guts and if they, 
if they didn't actually do the deed themselves, if they weren't responsible for his death, they certainly did nothing, certainly did nothing to help him as he struggled and drowned in that pool that fateful night in July of 1969. And there are books that have been released, there are documentaries now over 50 years later that say the same thing, that the evidence shows, at least to the authors of those books and documentaries, that Brian Jones was murdered that night in the summer of 69. But here it is over a half a century later, over 50 years later, and they still have not reopened the case. So officially on the books in England, the death of Brian Jones, the man who founded the Rolling Stones, is misadventure. So the deaths continue in this little quadruplet of death of rock stars. At the, that's what I'm calling it anyway in the next two years, because within a year of Brian's death, a good friend of his, another superstar of rock, is going to be found dead in England. But this time it's going to be in London and this time in a London flat. A man who, by the way, was a good friend of Brian Jones. He actually would introduce this second dead rock star to American audiences a few years earlier in the Summer of Love at Monterey. A man who was heralded then and still now as the greatest electric guitar player in the history of rock. The dead man they found in September of 1970 was James Marshall Hendricks. Official cause of his death is accidental barbiturate overdose. He would then vomit in his sleep. He would suffocate and he would die at the age of 27, better known to his family and friends simply as Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix dead at the age of 27. Now, within a month of Jimmy's death, just a month, another superstar of rock will die, but this time thousands of miles away on the west coast of the United States in this sleazy little motel on the outskirts of LA, and this time it's a lady of rock, a lady they call the psychedelic blues queen. Yep, the queen of the psychedelic blues they find, and I'm not happy about it at all, it was Janis Joplin dead at the age of 27. And what was the cause of her death? Accidental heroin overdose. But there's something strange about her death, something strange about what she was supposed to do the day after she died. Janice was supposed to go to the recording studio to record a song for her final album, Pearl. Of course, she didn't know that this was going to be her final album. But what was that tune? What was the song that Janice was supposed to record the day after she died? A little thing called Buried Alive in the Blues. Janis Joplin, dead at the age of 27, October 1970, accidental heroin overdose. Now, two years to the date that this quadruplet of death began with these rock stars all dying on July 3rd of 1969 when they find the dead body of Brian Jones at the bottom of his swimming pool, it's going to end two years later, July 3rd, 1971. As I said, two years to the date where another rock star is found dead in the water, so to speak, in a bathtub, though, a bathtub in Paris, France, a young man, a rock god, and from day one, when they find his dead body, people are already speculating that he staged, that he faked his own death. And, well, why is that? Well, the cause of his death is one of the reasons. The official cause of this dead young man's uh, rock star life ending that day was heart failure. Now, you're going, Luther, that's not so strange. That's not so odd. Well, it is if you happen to be 27 years old. Heart failure, 27, not so common. And who was the man, the rock god they found in that bathtub in Paris, France on July 3rd, 1971? Why, it was none other than lead singer of The Doors, Jim Morrison. Now, who did find the body? Well, we're going to get that in a second. But what is the main reason that people speculate that he staged his own death? Because so few people would ever see the body of Jim Morrison before they buried him for all time in that, in that cemetery in Paris, France. And the first person to find him was his common-law wife, supposedly. That is Pamela Corson. Now, she's not talking much today, and she wasn't talking much back then either, because Jim Morrison's common-law wife, Pamela Corson, would also die within a short time span, 
and oddly enough, at that very tender age of 27. Cursed by osmosis? Well, we will never know. But nobody else will see the body, it seems, except, well, the doctor who signed the death certificate. There was a death certificate, and that doctor isn't talking much. But nobody in the band would ever see the dead body of Jim Morrison. Now, the manager would fly over there right away once he was notified, but by the time he gets there, Jim's already supposedly sealed away for all eternity, and no one in Jim's family would ever see the body either. Once again, he's sealed away and gone before anybody even gets there to see the remains of Jim Morrison. Now, Here's another odd thing. There was a video that popped up on YouTube years ago. Don't know if it's still there, but it was supposedly of Jim Morrison's Alive and Well. And where is he? Why, he's in Montana on a ranch. Supposedly. It's kind of a foggy, grainy video, the thing I saw. <laughs> and I found this very odd because Jim Morrison had a near-genius-level IQ. And, uh, you know, he was a poet and a writer. And I, as somebody who loved the arts that much, I can see him wanting to escape the world of rock and roll because he talked about it many times. But would he really want to remain just a ranch hand out there in Montana, sitting around a campfire every night for decades and decades, just eating cans of beans every night? I really doubt that. And then here's another strange thing. There never was an autopsy done on the body of Jim Morrison. Now, find it strange because he was not a French citizen. He was a United States citizen at that time and was till the day he died. And then, of course, uh, you know, he was a famous rock star. You'd think they'd want to know why and how for certain. So there would be no controversy. And there has been controversy from the day he died, supposedly, to this very day. So there was no autopsy ever done, and maybe it would have helped uh, stop some of these questions about the mysteries of his death. And then there is the very strange thing that Jim Morrison himself said to a friend of his at a bar one night, right after the death of Janis Joplin. And of course, right before that, his other friend, Jimi Hendrix. And Jim said to his friend, you know, you're looking at number three. Did Jim Morrison have a premonition, or did Jim have a plan? I guess we'll never know. So, here it is. We just passed the 50th anniversary of Jim Morrison's death, and there was a time a few years ago where his family was thinking of having the body dug up, disinterred, and bringing his remains back to the United States. But the last minute, they said, no, let's not do that. Let's let Jim rest in peace in Paris, France. So, we just passed the 50th anniversary of Jim Morrison's death, and there still remains, with whatever remains remain of Jim, all those unanswered questions and mysteries about his death, if that really is Jim buried in Paris, France. So you ponder that, and now we're going to talk about all these rock stars' deaths and how it ties together with Robert Johnson, who sold his soul to the devil in the 1930s and died at the age of 27, and how they all tie together. Well, that's the first connection. Unless you haven't been paying attention, they all died at the age of 27. And then, of course, there's the music connection. Oh, yeah, the blues. I mean, Robert Johnson is a great blues master. They were all fully aware of Robert Johnson. Many of them recorded some of his songs on their albums, and they were all huge blues aficionados. It's the very reason all these, all these musicians and artists started singing or playing instruments because of their love of the blues. And then they formed rock bands to play their own version of the blues in a rock format. So it's that blues that is the tie that binds them as well. The other tie that binds all these artists together, going all the way back to Robert Johnson in the 1930s, is that one day they will all be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now that is a curse unto itself and a topic for another story, but keep this little tidbit in mind. So many of these great rock stars wait far too long to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, many years past their eligibility date. And this is the sad thing, and this is the curse. So many of them, they wait so long and then finally they're inducted. And then many of them will never make it to the actual ceremony to receive their award in front of their families and their friends and their peers to receive the acknowledgement and the praise that they so justly deserve because so many 
will then get sick right before the inductions, never making it to the event, and many of them will die right before the induction ceremonies never to appear. So keep that little tidbit in mind. But here's another strange connection between all these rock stars that died along with Robert Johnson, and this is the oddest one. And nobody ever made this connection until I did a show here in Cleveland on the radio in the 1990s on the bizarre coincidences of rock and roll. And it is the name connection. Now think about this. All the names of those who died, Robert Johnson, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison. Yes, they all have J in their name. Now, I, I'm getting goosebumps right now, just like I did when I first recognized that fact in the 1990s, and I don't really know what the significance of it is, but I started calling it the 27J factor. And that's when I also realized, I go, wait a minute, when I was doing this special on these bizarre coincidences in rock, that that ties it in with the most bizarre, strangest of all, the greatest of all rock and roll rumors. And you know what that rumor is? And when some of you younger listeners hear what I tell you what this rumor is, if you're unaware of it, you're going to go, wait a minute, this guy is crazy. This guy is nuts. And that may very well be true. But I'm telling you, in the fall of 69, millions of us all over the planet were aware of this. It was on radio shows. It was on television shows, books and magazines and articles. And here's the rumor. The rumor is that a bass player in a world-famous rock band was in a car crash. He died. And then the band would replace him with an imposter because they were at the peak of their career. Now, I am talking about a band you might have heard of, a little band called The Beatles. <laughs> All right, get it out of your system because, of course, the rock star, the bass player in the band was none other than Paul McCartney. He is the one who supposedly died in a car crash and then was replaced with an imposter. So get it out of your system. Take your jaw off the floor if you've ever heard that rumor. Oh, but I've said it was everywhere. Now, how does a rumor like that even start? And of course, it's going to start right here in the United States. What a surprise. And with a DJ. Now, it's the fall of 1969, just a few short months after the death of Brian Jones, by the way, that this DJ one night is playing the Beatles' White Album. And he wants to play a little song in there called Blackbird. And before that song, there's a song called I'm So Tired. And at the end of I'm So Tired on the White Album, at the very end, there is some gibberish. You can't even understand it. It's some mumbling as it fades out at the end of the track. But if you play it backwards, that track will definitely say something. And what does it say? Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you in a second. But you're probably asking yourself, wait a minute, how do you actually play a song backwards by accident on the radio? Well, the DJ didn't do that. Remember, it's the fall of 69. All these albums are on vinyl, so you have to manually spin the record backwards into the dead spot, so to speak, between the tracks. Got to back cue it. And when he did this, he hit that gibberish and he hit it backwards and he had to stop dead in his tracks because he thought, wait a minute, it, it said something. Now, he couldn't believe what he heard, so he did it again. And he, every time he did it, it was a little more distinct, a little more clear. The gibberish, when you play it backwards, says, Paul is a dead man. Miss him. Miss him. So the DJ can't believe what he just heard, but he's sitting there playing Blackbird and he's thinking about this and he's going, wait a minute. He goes, that, that was just a freaky accident. The Beatles would never do anything like that intentionally. But as he's looking at the album cover, he sees another track on the White Album, a thing called Revolution Number no. 9. And it was, a, it was a revolution in recording when the Beatles did this because it was unlike any other recording. Always light years ahead of their contemporaries. You know, they, were, they did a whole song out of nothing but tape loops. John and Paul had uh, recorders at their own home, and they were always experimenting with tape loops. So they did a whole song with no music, no verses, no choruses, all made out of tape loops called Revolution Number no. 9. But there is a recurring theme. There is a recurring voice on that track, a voice that says, Number 9, Number 9. So the DJ is just thinking, he goes, I just wonder what that sounds like. 
if you play it backwards. So he spins that backwards and he flips out because it says this. You play Revolution Number no. 9 backwards and it says, turn me on, dead man. Turn me on, dead man. So now the DJ really flips out. He starts pulling out all the eclectic Beatle albums, the Psychedelic Years, Sgt. Pepper's, Magical Mystery Tour, and this little classic of a 45, Penny Lane. And the flip side, though, is what gets his interest. He flips it over and listens to Strawberry Fields Forever, little John Lennon song, a Beatles classic. And right at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, as it's fading out in this whole cacophony of sound of little snippets of choral groups and radio shows, he hears a voice, a voice that he recognizes, and the voice is that of John Lennon. And what is John saying on the end of Strawberry Fields Forever as it fades out? He is saying this, I buried Paul. Oh, oh man, so this is it. The DJ starts talking about this on the radio. He can't believe these clues. Turn me on, dead man. Paul is a, Paul is a dead man. Now I buried Paul. He just can't believe it, and the calls start coming in because people are now finding clues on other records and in album covers and pictures. And we could do a three-hour special on this, but we're going to end it just in a minute and then tie it in with the 27J factor. But this is how it spreads across the nation and the world because all these radio stations start picking up on this, and they start doing little documentaries and that. So let's end this with one great visual clue, and then we'll tie it in with the 27J factor. Now... You have to pull out a Beatles album that many rock critics say is the greatest rock album in the history of rock and roll, not only because of the music, but because of the art, the album cover. And that album is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So pull that album out, and let's take a look at the cover and think about it a second, and then think about what you see on that cover. And I'm going to tell you what millions of other people think they see, and it's very hard to dispute. As you're looking at the cover of Sgt. Pepper, you're looking at it and you go, wait a minute, that looks like a... Why, that looks like a gravesite. It looks like a funeral. And for all purposes, it really is, because that was the idea behind Sgt. Pepper's Only Heart Club Band. The Beatles were dead. The Beatles were dead for this album. The Beatles, as we knew them as the mop tops in the 60s, because they no longer look like that. Take a look at them on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's and those Sgt. Pepper outfits. They no longer look like the lovable mop tops of the 60s, and they certainly no longer sounded like that. So for this one album, and that really was the idea of the album, supposedly is the dead man, Paul McCartney, he came up with that idea that we're going to be our alter egos for Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Now, when you're looking at the cover of Sgt. Pepper's and you're thinking of it as a funeral site, as you would expect to see at a grave site, you would see a floral arrangement. And, uh, of course, a floral arrangement for the deceased, and there in red flowers spells out the name of the Beatles. And there's another part of that floral arrangement, but something appears to be missing. What appears to be missing is two guitars, because there's only one guitar on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. The guitar that's on there is not a six-string like George's or John's. Those are not there, but it is a four-string floral arrangement for a guitar that, of course, is a bass where Paul McCartney really is dead. So ponder that, and now let us tie that all together with the 27J factor. How does that tie in with all the other rock stars who died at 27, with J in their name, and with Robert Johnson, the man who sold his soul to the devil in 1938, with the 27J factor? Well, Paul McCartney, if he would have been alive when this rumor came out, and like I said, that rumor spread everywhere. I saw a television show that actually had a judge and a jury that took all the facts and uh, came up with a verdict that Paul McCartney, yes, he really did die and he was replaced by an imposter. So, if he were dead, <laughs> well, if he were alive, he would have been in the 27th year of his life when that rumor came out, but that's not the chilling part. The chilling part is this, the name connection again, and I know what you're thinking. You're gonna go, oh, Luther, now you're gonna tell us Paul's got a middle name and it's Jay, and I go, well, no. 
kind of, but no. Paul does have a middle name, and most diehard Beatle fans will know that Paul McCartney's middle name is Paul because he has a first name that he doesn't use in public. His first name is James. James Paul McCartney. Ah, yes, the 27J factor sadly seems to live and breathe, so maybe, and I hope it's not true, but maybe there is more fact to that rumor that Paul McCartney did die and was replaced by an imposter. So let us wrap up this whole 27J factor with one more final thought, because I know what else you're saying. You're going, oh, Luther, these are all great stories, very spooky and everything else and lots of fun, but that happened over half a century ago. That's still not happening today. Well, you would be wrong. You would be dead wrong, because a while back we lost another up-and-coming great rock singer, a young lady, another young lady who died of alcohol poisoning, and she died, of course, at the age of 27. And I am talking about Amy Winehouse. But in that one story that I read, saw, or heard, did they mention that Amy Winehouse, who died at 27, also had a middle name? And we are rock and roll historians here at Rock and Roll Nuggets, and we know what Amy's middle name was. It was Jade. Amy Jade Winehouse, dead at the age of 27. So sadly, it seems that the 27J factor does live and breathe in the 21st century. And so, you know, well, maybe if you were a rock star out there, maybe I just want to say this too. Maybe if you're an up-and-coming rock star or one out there and you happen to be 27 years old, and heaven forbid that you happen to have J in your name, well, hey, maybe you've, maybe you've beaten the curse. Maybe you've beaten it. Well, or maybe you're just living on borrowed time. <laughs> so with whatever time you got left, why don't you spend it with me? <laughs> yeah, the name is Heggs, Luther Heggs. And the show is, why, it's Rock and Roll Nuggets, Tales from the Gold Mine. That gold mine of rock and roll where we dig deep to explore the myths, the legends, and the lore of rock and roll. See you later. Maybe. <laughs>